0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something.
1: Happy summer listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch and with me as always is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Hello. This week, we are joined by our other Erin, as well, to talk about one of her favorite films.
0: What's up, Erin?
1: Buongiorno. (laughs) There we go, a little different voice there for the Erins. 2013 brought us the incredible coming-of-age film The Way, Way Back, starring Liam James as the awkward protagonist and a slew of all-stars in supporting roles. This is a five-star movie for me. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. And I hope that if it's not for you right now, Erin White, this conversation will convince you so that we can get this film in the trophy room by the end of our discussion tonight.
2: No pressure, huh? Hmm, thanks. No
1: pressure at all. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a five-star movie tonight. Wow. I like that. <laughs> I
2: might, Even if it was a five-star, I might have to take you up on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll start playing Uncharted early. How about that? <laughs> Deal. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, so this is your obligatory spoiler alert. Um, we do not want to leave you in the dark that we are covering this thing in detail because there is a lot to talk about. So if you haven't seen this, please do yourself a favor and watch it just for the sake of enjoyment because it's worth every single second that you have of your time on that. But if uh, if you have, continue to enjoy the discussion as we drop right in. So we'll get started with our one word takeaways and how do i say this aaron the second <laughs> we'll get started with you what is your one more takeaway is that me Am I, I think the... that's going to be you i don't know how we're going
3: to don't know i was know. like is it is it aaron 1 versus aaron 2 i'm not really sure. i want to i don't
1: really want to sure. i don't want to give you guys numbers cuz that just doesn't i feel like i'm <laughs> we doing need a, we need a system <laughs> a system
3: and i'll be i'll be 2.0 <laughs>
1: aaron
2: with an e versus aaron with an a Gosh, yeah. well, I mean, people technically,
3: people. if you like can hear it, like you are supposed to orally say them different. There's Aaron and then there's Aaron.
1: Hmm. So good luck, Patrick. Well, I, I, oh, I yeah. could just say I could just say a. A. for oh, you. Oh, please don't do that. God, oh, God, I no. Me. I hate that. <laughs> don't sketch you dare. So much. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go with Aaron. How about that? that Perfect.
3: <laughs> okay. um, my one word takeaway <laughs> was poignant.
1: And why was that?
3: Because there's a lot of coming of age stories that I don't think focus on. A specific aspect that I really liked about this was the sadness that also came from an older generation and it was a background sadness instead of just focusing on the main characters like awkwardness there was a lot of um an awareness of the passing of time and yet it was going too slowly and too quickly all at the same time and there was a lot of sadness that you could just feel from uh, like a multitude of characters.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, that overall tone was a sense of uh incompleteness from yeah. a lot of these characters that were kind of looking for something to, to fill in some kind of gap that was that was being lost. Um, I definitely picked up on that. What about you, Aaron? What was your overtake?
2: <laughs> this is going to be awful.
1: Um, <laughs> I, I went with
2: genuine, a.k.a. authentic, because I was trying to find a word that meant authentic that wasn't the word authentic. I think this is one of the words that we use a lot, but that's because when it happens, it is impactful for us in the way that we're experiencing a film. And The Way, Way Back is just a refreshing movie. It's made with a lot of sincerity and so much so that I think it's hard not to fall head over heels for it. I love my coming-of-age stories despite their cliches, but this film is different. The complications that seem to arise for Pam and Duncan as they navigate this summer post-divorce feel really natural to me. And instead of a child dealing with isolation and awkwardness by embarking on a summer full of debauchery with sex, alcohol, drugs, rock and roll, etc. It depicts the impact of adults taking an interest in kids and mentoring them in a healthy way. I can't really say enough, honestly, about how much I fell for this on the rewatch. It was already a favorite of mine, but now it's elevated to this place of annual summer revisit. I I truly think that it is one of the absolute best that this genre has ever made. And uh, my heart is just full when
1: watching or thinking about this movie. I can, I cannot disagree at all uh, with, with that. And I bounced around about 15 different one word takeaways because there would be one that popped into my head and I was like, that's going to be it. And then there would be another scene that would make me think of another word. And so the one thing that I think really solidified my experience was reality. And when it came to Duncan as the main character, we're seeing the world through his eyes. We're seeing his world. But the, Aaron, as you mentioned, the the problems of these other folks around him that exist, it's not just him. It's him in relationship to them. It's them independent of him. There's this reality that exists that makes its way kind of to the surface over the course of the movie and ends up kind of coming to a head at this big giant catered fried food party is what I called it where he takes a stand but we're dealing with his reality of coming from a divorced family and it's in the sense of kind of a makeshift vacation that's trying to be anything but like everybody's trying to avoid what they're reality actually is, which is Duncan's coming from a divorced family, his mom's trying to make something work with this new guy, and I believe, I didn't pick up on this last time, but I believe the daughter is actually not hers, right? It's, is the, is... The daughter, the is, daughter is, Trent's. is Trent's. That's right, okay, yeah. I didn't pick up on that clearly until I think this rewatch. So there's a lot of this stuff that's happening, and I feel like what we see is a reality of what's really going on despite some of the awkwardness and fakeness that's really trying to be performed with all of these characters. So we have so many of these moments where we see that genuineness that you talk about, Aaron, and we we pick up on that in different ways where we actually see what's truly happening in spite of what these characters are experiencing. And I I think that's pretty great because – It almost makes us feel like we're, you know, omnipotent. You know, we, we have this kind of all knowing, um, knowledge, which is kind of redundant of, of what's going on, but still from the point of Duncan, like we don't see what's happening while he's at the water park over at the, um, over at the house or with these other relationships, but we pick up on that from, from his observations. And I think it's the fact that this stuff is real. What he's dealing with and what, um, what these parents deal with and how they're reacting during this summer vacation is very much a reality. This doesn't feel like a fantasy. It doesn't feel like, oh, wow, yeah, that would be kind of a wish list. That would be something that would be funny to see on the screen. No, this is very natural. And it's kind of scary how natural and how authentic and how much of a reality this is. Because I'm now an adult. I'm no longer that kid who has parents that go to Cape Cod and I'm just being dragged along. I'm now the parent who would take my kid along. And I wonder, will that ever be me to be a parent that, that does that where my kid runs off and does their own thing and I'm doing my own thing with, with my wife? And I don't know. It just got me thinking about a lot of this stuff. So, so yeah, the reality was the word that I, that I came away with as I was, as I was working through watching this. Two big ideas kind of crept up on me. And the one, the first one that I, that I discovered was this idea of adults behaving as children. And, um, Aaron, as, as you might know from maybe listening to the show, I'm kind of a dummy when it comes to like the wow, like the understanding of movies. Like I, I don't really get the twists at the end before they actually happen, which is a good thing. And sometimes I don't pick up on some of the more obvious type things that are going on, but, Something that I saw this time around was how much these adults really do feel like man children or, or women children in the way in which they are re, just kind of responding and acting towards each other and even towards their relationship with their children. I mean, they seem like almost like best friends as opposed to parental figures. And I wanted to know from you guys. How do these role reversals act to both entertain and educate us as an audience?
3: I think it's really important to note like the the adults acting like children kind of thing. I don't know how I always I, I feel very weird about phrases like that only because no two children are the same. And so I, I see I know what you mean. And I think it has to do with like an immaturity aspect of it. Um, a lot of this movie feels like the theme of that's my toy. I want to play with it. You don't get to kind of thing. Um, like Pam is trying to choose between, do I, you know, do I play with my son or do I play with my boyfriend? And that sounds inappropriate, but you all know what I mean. Um, and unfortunately for a large portion of the film, you know, she makes what we would all determine as a a difficult decision. And I don't want to say incorrect. She, she makes a choice and unfortunately it pushes and strains other relationships. And I think that when you're a kid, you don't really see the ramifications of those things, but you see the ramification of other people's choices. And I think that's why I love this movie so much is that you saw everything from a global view, but you really did feel the pain that Duncan feels every time that she didn't choose him. And I think that that is what makes this movie so powerful is that. You know, I'm a, I'm a product of divorced parents personally, and I know that I got very, very lucky because both of my parents still talk to this day. My mom spent Christmas with my dad's family a few years ago. Like, my mom gets along with my stepmother. I know that I am a very rare case and that my parents constantly put me and my siblings first. But I know that's not always the case. And seeing something that felt very realistic, um, without the classic divorced parent tropes, it, it was very um, gut-punching in a lot of ways where he he just wanted his mom to pay attention to him and pay attention to what was happening around him. And the child had to be the adult while the adult didn't really want to be an adult.
2: Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting point about not wanting to be an adult. I, if we're, are we talking, you're talking about Pam, correct?
3: Yeah, Yeah. well, and I think it's, it's, it's Pam, but it's also like, uh, I mean, goodness knows, I know we're going to talk about her later. But everybody that knows me knows my love for Alice and Jamie. And like, she's not an adult for the entire movie. (laughs) And so when you go, especially and it's a very East Coast thing, I know, like summer in the Hamptons, but like, when you go on these summer vacations, it's the time to like, forget about your responsibilities and to stop being an adult. And when you bring your kid along, it's kind of like a constant reminder of, Oh, yeah, I'm a parent. And I really felt like even though Pam loves her son and loves to be a mom, it was almost like, Oh, right. I have a son for a lot of this film.
2: Yeah. I think that, you know, she goes into it with the belief that he's going to have the daughter of Trent in order to just take him around the the island or the area and and she's going to entertain him right like she can just hang out with Trent he can hang out with her and the other kids in the area and it will be fine she doesn't think about what's going to happen when that doesn't work out when he's resistant to that when he feels isolated from them when feels out of place and just wants her attention I I guess I don't feel like there's anything it's to a point you made in the beginning of your statement about how it's not necessarily right or wrong. I don't think that Pam particularly acts childish in any way. I think that she is an adult who has just gone through a traumatic experience, probably with her divorce, and she is looking to try and move on in some way. And she is hoping that this will serve as a means for her to deepen her relationship with Trent. And to have a little fun over the summer, she's hoping that it will bring Duncan um, out of his funk. We find out later that, you know, she had to bring him. There wasn't a choice. His dad didn't want him. I guess I have a lot of sympathy for the way she acts. And I never feel like she's quite doing anything particularly wrong. Other than maybe not stepping in at times when Trent is berating him uh, in front of her. Um, th- there are those moments where I think she tries to at the dinner table. Um, he starts to kind of give him a hard time and she's like, you know, well, let's just put him out of his misery. So I think she's doing a- as good of a job as she possibly can. She's trying to, but it's not in the same way that I see someone like Owen and how he's like really truly living like a childish life. I also think that what, what is the Allison janey character's name <laughs> I don't even know what her character name is um but I, yeah I don't know but she's a lot of fun I, I think it's Betty I think she's also a good parent and I don't see her doing anything that is indicative of putting her own fun above her kids I, I mean we see her being kind of hilarious in the way that I mean, she, she's
3: drunk the entire time is she yes she
2: She has alcohol in
3: her hand like she's drinking drunk
2: i I see her taking not just
3: drinking she's she's like sloshed
2: at at a party or something i can understand on the boat
3: maybe when she greets them at their house (laughs) Mm, okay (laughs) like when they first (laughs) arrive she's got a drink in hand and she's creepily flirting with Duncan with her boobs out. <laughs> yeah, well, I,
2: there's there's definitely that scene. Yeah, that one I'm not gonna. I will
3: say that. I do love how she parents her child uh, with I, the eye. Uh,
2: that's what she, I was kind of getting at. Was yeah. just that it's more of a fun kind of cutesy parenting style, but ultimately you know that she absolutely is there for her kids and cares about them.
1: So here's what I think is is interesting and both you guys are bringing up an interesting point. Maybe the parents acting like children is probably more of a sweeping generalization that invokes something that's not true. I think what we have here is more of a blurred line of relationships on this summer vacation with the parents and the kids because, and I think that's by design because Pam has these pockets where Aaron, as you mentioned She wanted to spend time with Duncan, but she's also conflicted because she wants to spend time with Trent. And there's this really great moment where they're at a lunch picnic and she invites Duncan to come down and sit with her. Come here and, you know, join me for lunch. And he's going to put you know his corn on the cob and everything. He's getting his little buffet plate and then he's getting ready to go back over there. And Trent pulls her away and she looks at Duncan and says, I'll be right back. And the very next thing you see is him just dumping his food in the garbage, which says so much that relationship in particular is so interesting among these other relationships where you have parents that it's not that they don't care about their children or children that don't really care about their parents, but there's this blurriness that exists where they're like, you know what? As long as you don't kill yourself, good luck and have fun. And that's a response from the kids to the parents and the parents to the kids. I mean, Trent's daughter at the very beginning just takes a couple of beers off the counter and goes and does her own thing with her, you know, at that point, her boyfriend and, and their friends. And I think that at first I thought, wow, you know, he didn't even see that. But I'm like, this time around, I'm going, no, he probably knew that. (laughs) He was just like, okay, I'll just have to account for it. But I think that that blurred line is what really stood out to me in that we don't necessarily see. A distinction, with the exception of maybe Pam, on parents who are trying to act as the adults consistently. Like there's there's pockets of being an adult, and I don't have a problem with that. By the way, I think it's incredibly entertaining, and I think I think Alice accurate. it, It is because you have this vacation, which is the word itself is vacate. You're leaving your responsibilities that you have. But what makes it kind of weird is that you still have that responsible like person there with you. The person that you're responsible for is still with you. And yet you're kind of living in this world of I have the freedom to kind of be myself, but at the same time I have to still be a parent. And so it creates this entertaining and interesting and realistic dilemma that's really fun to watch on screen but also says a lot about the way in which these relationships are probably in life outside of these vacations, or maybe not. That's kind of what I was left wondering was, is this the exception to the rule? Like on summer vacation, do parents become this with their kids in in these particular families? And then when they go back to being, you know, the, the caravan rides and the soccer practices and all that stuff, are they different? And that's kind of what I picked up on was wondering, is this different from reality or is this what reality is just on a higher level because it's vacation in Cape Cod, right?
3: I feel like with some of them, that is life, like with Betty's character, because they live there, like it didn't seem very much like a summer home to them. It seemed like that's where they just were and with the way that Trent's daughter was familiar with, I believe Susanna is the name of the other girl. It is. Um, it seemed like they knew that they were friends every summer because Susanna was a staple there. Like her family lived at that house. So I have a feeling that Betty's just really drunk year round. And you know what? Kudos <laughs> to her. She's, she's raising independent children that way. Um, but the, the scene that you mentioned about the picnic where he's making the plate up um, to go sit with his mom, Like, it's super impactful that he throws it away. But for me, the impactful moment comes literally right before that because it shows the contrast of that moment. He goes up to get the clams because Betty recommends it. Her daughter Susanna says, avoid the clams. Like, they're terrible. They'll kill you. He puts them on his plate anyway and specifically says, just in case your mom sees my plate. So he cares very much about appearances and he cares very much about showing that he's trying his best and like supporting Betty's endeavors to make terrible clams. And then all of a sudden the whole reason why he's doing it disappears and goes off with her boyfriend. And so for Mila, the impact of him throwing that food away was he only had the food for her. And all of a sudden she just disappeared. So he's not even hungry. He didn't want the plate to begin with. And for somebody that cared about appearances and was willing to put food on his plate that he knew he wasn't going to eat to just throw it away in that moment, for me, like, that contrast is what created that heartbreak.
2: Yeah, I think that's part of what Duncan gets so upset about throughout the course of the movie, is that he is trying for Pam. And she's constantly saying, why don't you just try? Why don't you just try? Can't you just try? Can't you just do this? And he's he's making an effort. Like, he is doing that, but he's dealing with Trent on a level that she is not, and she's not seeing that. And it's frustrating for him because he does care what his mom thinks. He cares deeply and he wants to make her happy and he wants to see her happy. But he also doesn't want to be felt like, you know, he's lambasted by this (laughs) awful, awful person constantly and and has this target on his back.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a stepladder because he wants her approval and she wants Trent's approval. And I don't know what Trent wants. I think he just wants to be. Trent wants everything. He just wants to be a jackass is what he wants to be. But, you know, that's that is what it and in truth. Trent may want the approval of of Duncan in some way and in some weird way. I, I don't have a theory behind that, but I kind of think that might be somewhat the case. In fact, in that opening line, you know, what do you think you are, Duncan? I think you're a three, which God. That just broke my heart. Anyway. Oh,
3: that's just such a thing. Like it every time sucks. I watch that scene, I if I wasn't oh. watching it for this purpose, I would have fast forwarded because it just made me so mad. I feel I like am. Trent is that like that douchey kid that's like named Hoyt and had like everything <laughs> given to him for most of his life and thinks that like every piece of advice or word out of his mouth is like plated in gold and it's a gift to you. Like everything he says is like a double-edged sword where you have to walk it very finely. But if you don't respond the way that he intends you to, it's not his fault or his problem. Like that scene where he's like, Hey Duncan, uh, you weren't by chance laying on the roof of my car, were you? And he's like, no. And he's like, cause there was a dent in it. And Pam was like, well, there were bags up there. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And then he looks straight in. He goes, that's probably it. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to punch you in the throat.
1: (laughs) Uh, And kudos to Steve Carell. Ste- oh Steve, Steve Carell Carell? is so good in this the, movie. This I is love the
3: moment, him as a villain.
2: yeah. This is the moment I believe Steve Carell could act. Like when in this movie was like the selling point. When I was like, oh, wow, that's completely different, and I hate you right now. And and I love that the way this scene plays out too, because it's in Trent's Mind the way that the wording of this scene works. He legitimately thinks that he is motivating Duncan. Like he believes that he buys into that in his wrong way
0: he sees it
2: yeah he does he does he's like so what do you say you know let's try to get that score up should we you know aim higher than a three like he's like all positive and and happiness about it and doesn't see the damage he's doing
1: right by saying such a thing and the and the the irony about Trent that i think is that he doesn't realize that everything he says is so disingenuous that you can clearly see how much he does not care about Duncan, that he's really doing it because he feels like it's a power play to make himself feel better. And there's a, there's this amazing scene. Um, it was almost my connecting point. It was prior to, it was the Candyland scene, but it was the, the moment before that where it's raining. There's no distractions, you know, there's no parties to go to. Everybody's kind of stuck in. They're there to be a family, which is kind of why they're supposed to be there. And the first thing we see is Trent saying, okay, there's a 1.30 and a 3.30 movie that we can go to. Now, I tell you what, I've been around and I've been that person who knows that movies are a great out for hanging out with people that you don't want to talk to. And (laughs) what make it feel like it's, you know, kind of a, a replacement for having genuine conversation. I'm, I'd like to think I've moved past that and I go to movies because I want to and having a conversation about the movie afterwards is really kind of what I really want. But in that moment, I knew exactly who Trent was because I've experienced that both on one side and the other where he's thinking, Hey, going to a movie as a family, that'll just check the box off to show that I've been, you know, I'm a good, you know, father figure here. But I love that Pam kind of pushes back and says, no, we can do something here. It's like, we'll go into a movies as a, you know, as a family, you know, that's like doing something as a family. And I'm like, no, it's not. And you know that you just don't want (laughs) to, you can't drink and you can't hang out with your friends. And so it's the best thing you can do to not feel awkward. And so then we get into that great scene, uh, with Candyland where then he gets really exposed for being the, the, the control freak. And again, Okay, I don't, but
3: there is nothing wrong with following the rules.
1: Yeah, let me just There's tell you how much I relate to Trent in this
3: scene. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't relate to his method, but I definitely relate to his frustration.
1: Because I, I'm solidarity like, solidarity with, with Trent right no, no, here. No, no, <laughs> I have I have no problem with we'll get into that, but and I have no problem with setting rules and having boundaries. What I do have a problem with is the way in which that's used to do something else. And we clearly see that. We see that he is trying to invoke a sense of power and authority by by using this ridiculous method to get his way. Like, he just wants to be in control. And he essentially wants to tell Pam, I'm in charge. And she pushes back. And I love the way she pushes back. It's just phenomenal. And so all those moments, I think, really bring about the fact that Trent is probably the one guy who thinks he's authentic, but really is absolutely fake. Like he's the polar opposite of who he's trying to be. And even in the moment where he, he tells Pam, I want to be better for you. I want to be better for Duncan. That felt inauthentic to me because I think it was just his way of trying to get past that and move forward because the very next day they're leaving. Why? Because he probably has a better opportunity to have more control by not being around the distractions that pretty much caused this issue. What I sense is that that relationship is probably going to just fizzle out. When they get back, it's going to be over. And, you know, he's not going to be able to do anything about it. But yeah, I think, I think Trent is a, he's a douche is what he is, but, but a great character douche in that regard. Well, someone else who is pretty fantastic is Sam Rockwell. And I think we can all agree that he's pretty phenomenal in this as Owen. And he's definitely a man child. But his relationship with Duncan is definitely different than Trent's relationship with Duncan. And I wanted to ask you guys why you think that is like, what are some things about Owen that draw Duncan to him and give him that kind of influence that a guy like Trent doesn't have?
3: I think it, it's kind of twofold. First, let me just state that I've loved Sam for a very long time. And I'm convinced that the character that he plays in this movie is just himself. I think that most of what he said was completely improv, and they just gave him kind of like a rough outline of where you could to stay in. And then he just kind of spouted off whatever came to him. They probably have like 40 takes of each scene and just chose whichever lines they thought were funniest. <laughs> Um, I think that the reason why Duncan and him get along so well, and it's not even really like, I don't even want to say get along. It's just that like Owen as a character, just he listens, but never stops talking. And so with Duncan always being like the awkward introvert, and I honestly think that Duncan's maybe like even on the spectrum a little bit with the way that they make his like social cue awkwardness. Um, I think the fact that Owen doesn't expect anything from Duncan is a really big thing and like there's no aside from like I expect you to laugh at my jokes kind of things like there's no control aspect of Owen like everything he says is off the cuff he's the exact opposite of Trent and exact opposite of the household that Duncan has to go back into and I think that that is why he loves the water park so much even before he gets his job, there is he, he feels the escape of that because everything is a lot more carefree. Like he doesn't actually have to do anything. There are no burdens that are weighted on his shoulders, whether it be the success of his mom's relationship or trying to make friends with people he doesn't actually want to be friends with.
2: Yeah. I, I love that he is what I would say the same person around everyone. I don't get a sense that Owen has different personalities for different people and i think trent sees that or sorry duncan sees that in trent he sees the person he is when he's alone around him he sees the person he is when he's with his friends um, he sees a, a person that is very concerned with what other people consider consider about him like you said patrick trying to get what he wants where owen is just himself i mean his first interaction with him at the pac-man machine is just wonderful right i mean just giving him this advice but he's not in owen's head he's not really trying to give advice so like we were talking about how trent is sort of trying to be this tony robbins character he's trying to intentionally be this ted talk that's not what owen's doing he just is naturally making a reference that happens to be really good advice. No pattern on my quarter, cut your own path, right? He's not thinking long-term about like where this relationship is going to head and how it's going to affect him and what he's going to get out of it. He just is, right? Like you said, just being himself. Um, if Maybe it is just Sam Rockwell. Who knows? I mean, I've loved him for a long time too. I think this is... Maybe my favorite performance of his, it's right there with Moon. The two of those would stand so far above everything else for me, but it's its really amazing. I love that he is really just respected slash beloved by everybody in the park. From the kids, for their reasons, to the staff, for their reasons, even to Caitlin, who... We get some great, honest stuff from her. I love that she calls him out, and she's like, she has that amazing moment where she's like, "This, this is why this is not gonna work," um, and that this is just a job now. And she's like, "I wish this wasn't a job." And you can see how that affects Owen. So you can you can see that the relationships matter to him, and he will adjust himself in those moments. He'll he'll realize things and be like, "Oh, okay, maybe I'm I'm gonna back up now a little bit because I've kind of." gone too far so he's respectful even amidst his what seems like chaotic childishness he's still keeping the park running it's still a productive place he's still hiring people and giving them jobs he is treating his staff amazingly throwing going away parties you know he never lets his responsibilities falter even though he's seemingly just having fun and that is just such a great juxtaposition for Duncan to see uh, that it really just kind of, I think it blows his mind. I think it would blow any of our minds if we went from Trent to Owen in the course of a couple of days. And we wouldn't know how to react to that at first.
1: Yeah. When I look at Owen, there are three characteristics that stand out to me. One is that he's consistent. Aaron, as you mentioned, that he's the same person around everybody. There's nothing that he says or does that isn't different with the people that he comes in contact with no matter the type of relationship Uh, he's never trying to impress anybody or at least seemingly not he's just being himself he's being Sam Rockwell or he's being Owen or whatever you want to say but he also believes what he says you know so often when we think about motivational speakers like Tony Robbins or others in this case we'll call Trent that way I don't think that A character like Trent believes in what he's saying. I think he just he's trying to say what he feels like people need to hear. And with Owen, his conversations and the things that he says, as off the cuff as they sound, do come across as natural because he believes in them. He believes in the the value of cutting your own path, of not having this this way that's already kind of shaped out shaped for you. And, but he doesn't carry that as a mantra and that doesn't become like a flag that he waves every time he's around someone. That's not his MO. It's part of who he is and it's significant, but it doesn't become the thing that he's defined by. He's also very approachable where I think a guy like Trent is not. And when you see, when you see Duncan interact with him, he's awkward, just like he's awkward with everybody else, but Owen sort of, he doesn't even give himself like self deprecation. He almost kind of makes fun of Duncan to an extent, but it's not to a point where he makes Duncan feel bad. And that's my other point is I never in my life, in my life, (laughs) in my experience of this movie, ever see Owen demeaning someone to a point where they feel awful like he makes fun of but it's always in good fun. Like even the going away party for, um, I don't remember the guy's Lewis. name. Lewis. Lewis. Lewis
3: is like my set, my favorite, like secondary character. next oh, to gosh.
1: Betty. I mean, if maybe if Lewis and Betty got together, that would be pretty amazing. I'd love to kind of see that. Of course that wouldn't happen, but <laughs> so
2: sorry, tangent. I know I'm going to interrupt you. Don't lose your place, Patrick and brain it in your head. But I just got to tell you in case you aren't aware. So Lewis is played by a guy named Jim Rash and buddy, the kind of, You know, goofy, almost like uh, surfer boy type character. The other worker there is played by a guy named Nat Faxon. Faxon and Rash actually wrote this movie. They're the writers. They won an Oscar for writing The Descendants with Alexander Payne. Yeah, I didn't know who wrote this movie and directed it. I
3: actually knew that.
2: Yeah, I had to look it up. And so those are the guys. They're in the movie. They're writers. Um, And then for any fans who, like us, are curious, because I know Patrick would be curious, so I wrote, wrote it down, they do have a couple of new projects that are in the works, but no dates yet. One is actually a remake of the Swedish film Force Majeure, and the other is called The Heart. And no details exist for that one yet, but the cast has been attached, and they are Octavia Spencer, Sam Rockwell, and Allison Janney. So that sounds awesome already. Yeah,
1: Stamp it. The trio is coming back with that one. I was going to
3: say, but can we also just revisit this group for a podcast on those films when they come out? Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah,
2: I I was shocked when I found out that those were the two writers. I would have never guessed that. And I love the characters that they gave themselves in the movie. Yeah. Because they're both awesome. All supporting characters in this movie. Hold. Are great. Yeah. Hold. Hold. <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments. And I know it's so wrong. <laughs> it's really good. Getting ready to start holding.
0: <laughs>
2: All right. We're, we're holding. And I love the end of that scene too, where they get to the bottom of the slide and, uh, and Owen and, uh, Duncan's shorts come off and Owen's like, too
0: far. You took it too far. <laughs>
1: so
2: Sorry. I, I distracted you. Keep going.
1: So. I look at Owen as someone who, who doesn't seem to need to tear people down in order to make himself feel better. And that, I know that's a very obvious statement to make, but it's important because I believe the writers made that distinction between Owen and Trent to really create that juxtaposition, especially for someone like Duncan. And I really feel like that's why he attaches himself to Owen. Because he's almost everything that Trent is not. And by the way, never in the course of the film does, and I love that the writers didn't do this, does Duncan ever say, No, you're not a three, or excuse me, Owen doesn't say, You're not a three, you're a. He doesn't give him a number because he doesn't need a number. He just tells him, That guy has his own problems. That's his issue. He never addresses the number. He never tries to put a quantitative value on Owen to validate who he is. Up to that point, just being his friend and letting him be a part of this world of the water park and this family has validated Duncan enough. And, and I, I think that's what makes Owen wonderful is that nothing he does ever feels like he's doing it forcefully. I think the only time, and I'm making a stretch here is that scene just after, I guess it was, it's the, the day when, when, um when Duncan, it's his day off and he comes into help and owen comes in early to set up the chairs and i love the fact that he's setting them up in like a a round table type thing but we know what he's doing he's really trying to make amends with caitlin and and trying to give himself a a sense of like honor like i'm not really the jerk or the the lazy guy that you think but even in that it doesn't feel inconsistent with who he's been because there's that great little back and forth uh dialogue between him and caitlin or she says, your shirt's on backwards. And he's like, you know, you know, you love it or something like that. And then she gives him the finger and it just goes back to being like, okay, in that moment, they've kind of made their, they've made their peace. They're back to, they're back to being kind of reconciled. And I think that that's what Duncan needs. He needs a consistent friend. He needs someone who is going to potentially tell him like it is and someone who is not going to give him just spoon-fed idiocracies or whatever it is so that he can just move on i really feel like duncan feels like Owen cares for him
2: yeah he does and i think that that's because we see that the my almost connecting point and there's probably 10 or 12 connecting points in this movie it's that kind of film but was the one you just referenced where he is They're after the party the next morning. Owen doesn't want to go or Duncan doesn't want to go home because it's a miserable experience. And he tells him he's he all he says is don't settle. There's a world out there for you. Don't settle. You got to go your own way. And And then he says, and you, my friend, are going your own way. And what I love about the way that he gives advice is he's not specific. One thing I learned when I was in the Navy and I used to do financial counseling, which is hilarious because my finances are crap but I can cancel the heck out of somebody else was you don't tell somebody what to cut out of their budget. You can't say, uh, you know, somebody does their budget for you. You can't say, Hey, you need to stop spending money on alcohol. You can get them to a place where they realize that they need to make changes and that they need to cut back on something, but you can't tell them what they need to do and how they need to go about doing that. And that's kind of the way that Owen approaches things is he gives him The motivation, he gives him support, but he doesn't tell him what to do specifically. He lets Duncan make choices and come to those things on his own. And I really like that. That hug also pulls me in tears. Um, And then he's also like this consistently with kids. There's the great moment with Peter that really stuck out to me. Like he just meets Peter for the first time at the party when they come in and He's asking him about his eye and he's telling him, he's like, what are you talking about? Like that eye is super cool. Like that is really awesome. And, and you should definitely let people see that. And he does it in a way that is empowering to the kids, but it's fun and it doesn't feel forced. And so what I ultimately come away with when I think about Owen is that he is a better father figure than... Either of the dads, the absent dad that we never see from Duncan, who just wants to spend the summer with his girlfriend, or Trent as a dad to his own daughter or potential dad figure to Duncan. Owen is the father figure here, and he's the one that is the most childlike, right? And it's a big, big point of passion for me, being a divorcee myself and watching so many kids not have the attention of their parents that I just get so both emotionally I, I get s- sad in a way but also like, just completely proud when I see a character or a person like Owen who doesn't al- allow himself to kind of check out of the kids that are around him and he doesn't go out of his way to try and insert himself into someone's life as a father figure. He just treats them like human beings and listens and cares for them. And it's so meaningful. I mean, like the impact that he has on Duncan in this summer is going to affect him for the rest of his life. It's going to change the way his self worth is going forward. And for Owen, it may never be another Thought, you know, he may he may think of Duncan fondly, but like it doesn't matter for Owen as much. I'm sure he does have you know, trit or these names get on my get get all confused. Duncan does have an effect on Owen, but I think that the long lasting effect that Owen has, this is one of those things where Duncan's going to be 30 years old and telling stories and be like, I remember this guy when I was at Cape Cod in the summer and I was 14. This guy treated me this way, and it changed how I viewed myself.
1: So it makes me wonder, and maybe this doesn't even matter, does does Owen act as a father figure or more as a brother or more as a friend or a combination of all three? And again, I don't know that it matters, but I wonder if there is a distinction there because I know that that's something that we see Duncan really needing is some kind of figure or is it just a positive influence that he's seeking out and that he's getting from from owen i actually don't see him as a
3: father figure and i was gonna bump in on that last one by aaron is like i do think that the one word to describe owen is empowering more than anything else because in my opinion like the best feature about owen is that like he never tries to tell duncan or peter or caitlin that they need to step up like He's never like break out of your shell, like try something new. He's always just like telling them that they're fine the way that they are and that the world will open up to them regardless. And that's exactly what happens. Like he never tries to stop Duncan from being awkward and that he empowers him by making like by asking him for help in the, in the park. He just says, hey, do you want to volunteer? Duncan goes into it thinking that he's not going to get paid. And then all of a sudden he's got a shirt. He is getting like regular paychecks. He's embraced by the rest of the team on top of that like until that pop and lock moment like i i tied the my moment of this movie to the discussion on the water tower that Aaron just commented on so since he took that i'm going to use my secondary one that pop and lock scene is one of my favorites purely because what it does is it shows He's been challenged by this complete group of strangers because he has to be the enforcer. He didn't choose to be the enforcer. Owen was like, why don't you go try to take this cardboard box? And Caitlin's like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, no, it'll be fine. What's the worst that could happen? They eat him alive. Cool. Enjoy. And it's it's this moment where Owen has a feeling that this could be the moment he comes out of his shell or he could be exactly the same and we'll just try again on another day. And you just kind of feel this moment of, I just like... Owen knows what it's like to be browbeaten by somebody. And he talks about that in that moment on the water tower is that he, he, his dad was the exact same way that Trent was. And I think that that's why I see him. I don't even want to say it's a big brother. I do see more brotherly affection than parental affection. And I, I think the parental side just comes from the protection that Owen wants to give Duncan, but he also can do that as a big brother or like a quirky uncle. And the reason I say that is because Owen never has to discipline Duncan. And I think that that is the line where the parental area gets fuzzy because parents in this movie, like we talk about Betty, Okay, Betty is Peter's parent. Peter's been out all night, has no eye patch, comes back at the break of dawn at the end of the movie. And she's like, where have you been all night? Like, where's your eye patch? And he's like, don't come at me like that, woman. I lost it. And yeah, it's funny in that moment, but that also shows you that Betty has no discipline in her household. And that's an important part of parenting. You both know this. And so for me, it's like there's a fine line between being your child's friend, but also them still recognizing the respect of your parentage. And because we don't ever see Owen having to discipline Duncan for anything, I don't see him as a parental figure. I see him as a positive influence. I see him as an empowering influence. And yeah, I completely agree. That he is somebody that Duncan will remember for the rest of his life, but I don't see him as a parent.
1: Yeah, I think he's a best friend more than anything else, and I don't think any of that should negate the influence that he has because I think he has the best of both worlds. The fact that he can influence Duncan in a way that doesn't compromise who he is and also doesn't require him to discipline because that's something that I think does take away and does distinguish a parent versus a friend is when I have to discipline my son and I can't be his best friend in that moment. I can't tell him, I mean, I tell him that everything's going to be okay, but that comes on the heels of me having to either spank him or tell him that he has to go to his room. And, you know, even tonight, you know, having to start a little later, we were dealing with some of that. So it's, it's different. And I think that there needs to be a distinction there because there are things that you can't say to a child that you can say to a friend. You can't be as blunt, or you can't be as direct with your child. Just like in a relationship that I have with my wife, there are things that I can think that I can't say to her because her heart is tender. And because she's my wife, that role that she plays in my life as my wife, and that role that I play in her life as her husband gives me limits, but doesn't take away the depth of how much I love and care for her. I have to say things a different way. Like the way in which I can be blunt with, with you, Aaron, about things, I can't do that with her because our relationship, my relationship with her is different than my relationship with you. And what I, what I like about that is the fact that, that Owen is not limited that way. He has that freedom to be able to say anything he wants. But at the same time, even in that freedom, he has restraint because in some, interesting way he understands what his role is his role is just to be that guy and what that does is that opens up probably an equal amount of influence that Duncan has on him and I wanted to see if there was anything specific about that 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 you guys picked up on in the the relationship that Duncan and Owen had where Duncan's influence on Owen was was just as positive
2: Well, hold on. So I just want to clarify. When I say father figure, I'm speaking in a general sense of positive male influence. Duncan does not have a positive male influence in his life. His own dad doesn't want him for the summer. And his mom's boyfriend treats him like he's worthless. And that he is uh, in need of fixing and in need of being better. And so when I use the word father figure, I'm simply referring to the fact that I fully believe that in divorced families that absentee dads are a huge problem. And it is a thing that is on my heart at all times because I see it constantly. I see when people get divorced, dads check out. For some reason, at a much higher level than moms, dads check out. And they don't spend time with their kids in the way that I do. Because const- y'all didn't
3: have to carry it in your body.
2: <laughs> I'm constantly getting uh, comments about my relationship with my kids and about the time that I spend with my kids because people think it's weird that I don't just see them on a weekend and that's the only time I spend with them. Like that I am constantly interacting with them on a daily basis, whether it's talking to them or taking them places they need to go. Like I'm extremely active and I've maintained a relationship with my ex-wife primarily for that reason, because we wanted the kids to have those influences and so Duncan doesn't have that it seems and so I feel like Owen is filling in that role and you're right there's I'm glad you brought it up because there is an important distinction in actual parentage that comes with discipline but there's a level here of protection that Owen provides that I think elevates his relationship to Duncan and specifically at the end when Duncan goes running back to the park and Trent's like, come on, let's go. And he, it is the most subtle of scenes, but it's one of my favorite things about this movie. Trent takes a step towards Duncan and Owen just steps aside and he doesn't look Trent in the eye. He doesn't bow up on him. He doesn't point in his face and say, step back or I'm going to beat you up. Like he literally just steps in front of Duncan and he's looking at the ground. Even he's not even making eye contact with Trent. He's just very casually and very firmly putting himself between the two. And, and I think
3: saying, it's because Trent reached to grab Duncan. Also, like, he does. Yeah, that no, he's, me that like Owen came from it. Like his dad wasn't just a stickler. His dad mm, was abusive.
0: Very possible. And he was like, yeah.
3: "You're not going to touch this kid."
2: Very possible. Very very possible. But like, that that's the moment, kind of where I was. I guess, relating to this and thinking there's a protection factor there that to me is fatherly in so many
1: ways. Absolutely. And I I think it's not just that. I think it's a pocket of just a number of different things that Owen encapsulates. It's part father figure, part brother, part best friend, part enforcer, part empower. I mean, that's the beauty of who Owen is. And I think it's easy to put him in a father figure type box because he is such a great contrast to Trent, who is trying to be a father figure. Like, we don't see Trent as anything but a wannabe father figure. We don't see him as trying to be a big brother or an empower. I mean, we see him as probably wanting to be the polar opposite of what we see Owen as. And I think the easiest way to say is, Trent's a bad father figure, so therefore Owen is a good father figure. But I don't think it's – I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying, Aaron. I think what we have here is Owen who makes perfect sense as all of these things in, in a – in a plethora of ways. So it's, it's a good relationship. And, and I think that, as I mentioned before, Duncan has that equal influence on Owen's life. I mean, did you guys see that, that it wasn't just a one way street with their relationship?
3: Yeah, I thought that there were things that every character seemed to learn something from Duncan. And I thought that was really important is like, there were, I mean, I just, I love Lewis so much, like, but in that, like, going away party thing where, uh, Owen's like, I think Lewis might be serious this time, and, like, um, I can't remember his his actual character's name, but the surfer guy, like, pulls Duncan into the, buddy, thank you, um, to get the super soakers or whatever, and, like, there's this moment where Duncan's the only one that's doing it, and he's like, wait, what? And, like, this could go so wrong, and they could just, like, take the piss out of him and like just be out like you said like nobody in this movie is cruel to be cruel with the exception of trent and i think that's a very clear distinction and i think that when duncan has this moment and owen steps up and is like what this man is giving like an impassioned goodbye speech how dare you hit him with super surfers the only way this could get worse is if there were more and like pulls this entire like ice chest full of them out for everybody just to have a good time. And I think that that is ultimately like what moves Owen's spirits is to know that people feel safe and secure and want to have fun. And I think that that is to me, the the quote unquote parental aspect of it is that Owen is just wants everybody under that fun umbrella with him because he, he realized that he very quickly could have been Trent if he had not broken the cycle himself. And I think that he doesn't want to see anybody be so downtrodden by burdens for the rest of their
1: life. And there's a really fantastic scene just after that, after that super circle incident where everybody's dancing. And there's almost like this equality where even in the dance sequence, it's all bad dancing. I mean, if we can just be, be real, it's, it's just,
3: except for the break dancers, everybody in this film is a
1: terrible dancer, but even, but that's where the common ground is. We can all be bad together. And I think that scene made me smile so big because one, it was funny, but two, there were no hard feelings after the super Soccer incident. It was all done in a way that was good fun. It's a way it's almost like roasting in a way. And I feel like Owen was saying, man, we're going to miss you. And this is the way in which this is my love language. This is the way in which I show you that you're going to be missed. If this hadn't happened, if if I didn't care about you this much, I wouldn't give you a hard time and I wouldn't bombard you with super soakers. And having that scene afterwards where. Where he is dancing with the rest of the bad dancers, I think, speaks volumes about the fact that everybody's included. And you're right. Owen doesn't just want to include people, but he wants people to feel like they're part of it because it's one thing to say, come to the party, but it's another thing to say, come to the party and be a part of the festivities. You know, here's a, here's a water gun. Enjoy that. But I also love the fact that he's in his own way, having those parental moments where he's not going to let this little kid drink. You know, he's like, (laughs) the guy picks it up and it plays itself off as a joke, but in reality, Owen's like, look, <laughs> I know what this can do. And no, you can't do that. Try something else. And the fact is, that's a responsible thing to do. There is a sense of responsibility that we are hinted at all throughout the movie that Owen has. You mentioned it earlier, Aaron, that he's he's the one that he closes the park. in the one scene, he opens it up. But most of the time, you know, he's running the show. And he's in charge. And he keeps people employed and makes sure that the park stays maintain and I think it's easy to forget that about him but I think that that comes from the fact that he has a family of people around him that see him as valuable too and it would be easy just to forget that he doesn't need that but I think that he does and there are these small moments that party being one where I feel like Owen feels validated because people are coming out to celebrate with him even though the party's not for him but all these other different moments where he's getting that kind of endorsement from the people around him because as he hinted at before, he didn't get that at home. This is his family. These are his father figures and his brothers and sisters. And I think that's why he's so successful here because this is the life that he has. And I don't think he regrets it, but I think he knows that this is where his life is going to end up. He's going to live the rest of his life running this water park.
2: Yeah. And I think Duncan's impact on him is something that we, we may not see in the movie, right? I, got, I think that there's a final shot of Owen and Caitlin together, and that it gives me the impression that she has a better viewpoint of him based on what she has seen from the relationship he's had with uh, Duncan and how he's treated Duncan, how he's protected Duncan – um, I also think that part of his effect on Owen is tied to Patrick's connecting point, the waterslide race. Sorry to give it away early. Won't talk about it or whatever, but like, that's part of it is sharing in that moment with him is in a sense, he's, he's giving Owen a moment of glory as well. It's a shared thing. And that is impactful to Owen. It's, it's Owen is getting to do something really cool and really fun. And it's not, just for no reason like it has this bigger impact so i think that those are a couple of the things that impact owen but definitely i just i'm projecting onto the movie i have to admit but i get the sense that you know caitlin is looking at owen going okay you can be a good dad i got this i mean that's just the way i read it
1: i think that there's a level of maturity that gets validated as a result of his relationship with duncan because we don't We can assume that Owen doesn't have that with a lot of people like every summer. It's not like every summer he has this one kid that he latches onto. This feels like something that's just out of the ordinary. And so for someone that I think she said she was there for at least three summers. So this is the first time I think that she's really getting to see him as he impacts an individual as opposed to being a part of this family. And I think that that's very important to be able to recognize that. This guy who seemingly is selfish and lazy or completely unmotivated does have a place where he can give power and give empowerment to someone else and not compromise who he is. And I think that's attractive to her. And, and you're right. There's that great scene, that great moment with, with, uh, with Owen and Caitlin that it makes me cheer for them because it's like, yes, I want them to get together. And you can kind of sense that, that history that they have of this pursuit that he has with her, but not really wanting to show that he cares for her and that he has a moment of vulnerability with her that he wouldn't have had. I don't think had the uh, relationship with Duncan ever taken place. Well, the other big thing that I picked up from this is the importance of rules. And, uh, I seem to have sparked a trigger or something with, with you guys, because it sounds like I am in a conversation with a couple of rule followers. If I could, I um, would that be a true statement? Uh, at least one for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I,
3: I'm I am all about having like when you're playing a board game, you better believe I will have that rule book next to me the whole time, especially if it's for first timers.
1: So, is there a place in not only this story, but in terms of the lessons that are being learned from this, a place for breaking those rules and keeping them, and specifically with with Trent? and um and owen we definitely see another contrast we see a rule breaker and a rule keeper is there a place for both of those that exist can you can you be a can you have both and be healthy in terms of those kinds of relationships that that you that are developed
3: i think that there's a difference between being a rule breaker just to break the rules or breaking the rules for a specific reason Like there's a difference between me sticking it to the man or me giving you the finger and breaking the rules versus doing something different because the rules, they may be there as a guy, like when they had the race at the very end of the film, like, okay, that's against the rules and it's a safety hazard. And don't get me wrong, the whole time I was like, if this happened in real life, one of you guys would have a broken arm. And I say that because my very first job was working at a water park, red one piece and everything like wild rivers still to this day one of my favorite jobs because i was definitely like overlord of the water slide and if a little kid mouths off to me you better believe i made them hold (laughs) but like there's a time and a place for rules in life in general and for those instances where you're trying to have fun or trying to alleviate stress or pressure like what pam was doing in candyland like like I said, I have no problem with her wanting to be like, okay, like, it's a game. It's a board game. We're trying to have fun and alleviate this. And like her wanting to quote unquote, break the rules for Duncan, honestly, like that didn't bother me. And, but I see where Trent's coming from where it's like, no, like we're playing this game. We should play this the right way. So I see it on both sides, but I think that there's a time and a place for quote unquote, rule breaking. And I think that, Owen doesn't play by anybody's rules like he kind of snaps more into formation with Caitlin more than anything else but other than that he kind of makes up the rules as he goes and that vibes really well with Duncan who is coming from such a structured household so I think that since we don't know what the relationship with his mom and his and her ex-husband was at all we don't know what kind of household that was that he initially grew up in I think that there's a time and a place for for structure and rules. And in my own personal life, I I never jaywalked before I met my boyfriend and he jaywalks all the dang time. And now I like power through intersections throughout Seattle and I don't even think twice about it. So it's like there's a time and a place and I think it's about adapting yourself to those situations, even if you get a ticket for jaywalking.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, I have to deal with this all the time because I am a Trent in almost all competitive situations specifically so if it comes to a win or lose type of deal like a board game we all have to be doing something the same way because i need to feel like there is an even ground it has there has to be a baseline that we're all holding to at the same way at point but then there are the rules that i gladly break and i love that you brought up jaywalking because that is one of them, where my kids will call me out in a heartbeat for doing something wrong, like for speeding or jaywalking or whatever, because they know that I'm a stickler for it in other situations. And so it's a matter of, like you said, Aaron, perfectly, right place and right time. And also a little bit of reading the room. This is a great example here of how Trent only cares about himself at all times. He does not have an awareness or in any sort of concern for the emotional state of the people around him. The fact that no one else wants to be in this game. No one cares. He's forcing them to be in there and he's just continually making it worse. It kind of culminates at the end, right? When Pam walks off and stomps away and she throws things and she's crying and she's, it's, she's, Expressing as if it was about Candyland, but we realize that it's a culmination and that it, it means so much more. Like experiencing Trent in this place where he is kind of exerting this dominion aspect over her, like telling her she will do this this way. This is the only way. Like, and she tries to reason with him and he can't be reasoned with. Um, I, I like this moment because I get Trent. But I also think that it's a great teaching moment for people watching the movie to understand that like there is a place like you've got to be able to ratchet that back. And maybe it means you don't play the game at all instead of not playing it the right way. Maybe it's not time to play the game. And this particular moment gives us a great ending, by the way, because it shows Pam in the kitchen with her kids And they both know that she's gone through this and they are washing the dishes and packing food for her. And she just stands there with nothing to do. And I got this sense of like, man, this is awesome. Like this is kids trying to deal with a parent that's hurting. They are dealing with their own stuff, but they realize that she needed something from them. She needed a break. And they're just quietly, calmly doing these things. And she just kind of looks around like, what do I do? Right? Like she... Her first instinct is to go and take care of things, clean things up. So it gives us that. But yeah, when it comes to comparing Owen and Trent and rules, I mean, Owen follows the rules that generally need to be followed. And Trent tries to use rules as a way of being the typical patriarchy and controlling others.
1: Yeah. If we could consider rule- following a rule breaking if we could take that maybe a little bit more abstract and say how things are supposed to be then i think the way way back explores that in a way that's really really cool where the question is asked how are things supposed to be and you can lay that on any situation in the movie how is the relationship between Owen and Caitlin supposed to be how is the relationship between Trent and Pam supposed to be. And that's challenged because when we find out that Trent has been cheating on Pam, he's breaking the rules. That's not how it's supposed to be. And Duncan calls him out on that. When Owen is in the water park and he's, quote, breaking all the rules, that may not be how it's supposed to be, But the water park is still being run efficiently and effectively. I mean, obviously, we're not told that there are any kind of complaints or things like that. But this water park has been in existence since the 1980s. And who knows how long Owen's been in charge of it. But even as a rule breaker, the water park still functions well. It still is moving at a pace that it's supposed to. And I think that the whole movie really tends to ask that question. How are things supposed to be? And I kind of tie that back into my one-word takeaway. What's the reality supposed to be? And using scenes like the Candyland scene challenge that because, like you mentioned, Aaron, they shouldn't have been playing the game to begin with because nobody was going to win, metaphorically speaking, or literally, because the overlord was not going to let anybody have any fun. The point of the game was to can have a good community have family time and to enjoy each other's company and that could have been with broken rules or with rules being followed and the following of the rules became the thing it became the central focus as opposed to what was supposed to be and to me i think that's an incredible metaphor for how that theme is explored in terms of saying it's not just about should you follow rules or should you not but really what is important for the situation that you're in? Because oftentimes when you see a situation that's not necessarily a, a sport or any other kind of competitive, uh, competitive moment or competitive situation, you're not thinking about the rules. You're thinking about the way things should be. How do you deal with that when you're working through a relationship between, uh, maybe two of your coworkers and one has one opinion and one has another. How do you deal with that? Who's right and who's wrong? You're still kind of dealing with the rules of something. How do you deal with that? What do you say and what do you not say? But when it really comes down to is what's the best thing for the situation? And I think that, that, that Duncan as a character is trying to figure that out in all these pockets of relationships that he's connected to is What is supposed to be the reality? What is supposed to be the right way? And I love that at the end of the movie, we don't really see, because we don't know what his life is going to be like after this. We can assume, like you mentioned, but we don't know. We can be optimistic, but we still don't know. And I like that there's that ambiguity. But I think what we know is that he understands more about what life should be, and he can make a better assessment. He can either see what the rules are and break them for the sake of what the situation is. Or you can see what the situation is and follow the rules because he knows that's what's going to be best. And uh, and, and I, I really dig that. I think that that's a great way to to use these two characters in terms of, of Trent and Owen, who do polar opposite things, but yet they both kind of have legitimate reasons for doing it. And so you can't really fault either one. But, how that speaks to the bigger idea in the movie, I think is pretty fantastic
2: yeah the the rules that Trent is about is it, it's seriously it feels like it's all about control um you know it ties into the the last scene in Pam moving too, where she's doing something that is exerting a la- he she's taking control away from him. he's like, "Don't move, and she's like, nope, I'm moving. I want to do x thing, and I'm going to do x thing." And I'm not going to not do what I want to do because you're just telling me I can't. And so I, I really get that
0: sense of control from him.
1: Absolutely. Well, I wanted to throw some love to the, uh, to the supporting cast. We've talked a lot about these guys. I just want to, to highlight, uh, Tony Collette as Pam. I think she's fantastic in this. Um, Erin, you mentioned Alice and Janie. She holds a special place in my heart from her days on the West Wing. And I think that
3: I was just going to say CJ for life.
1: C.J. Craig is probably one of my favorite television characters ever. And Great. I think her laugh by itself could just win an Emmy, the way in which she laughs on that show. But she has this bubbly kind of no-nonsense, I don't know what you call it, um, character trait that comes out in all of her roles, whether it's this one or C.J. Craig or Tanya Harding's mom, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I just, I love seeing her perform because I think she just goes all in to her characters. And if there was an actor that stood out beyond Sam Rockwell, she was was my second place for sure. Well, before we get into our connecting points, I'm gonna get kind of nerdy and talk about some writing kind of film stuff. In uh, one of the writing classes that I took, there's this idea of a clock. When you watch a movie, one of the techniques, one of the exercises that I, I did was I was told to go through a movie and based on the duration of the movie, look at different points of when a character enters the movie and when they exit, when a subplot begins and when a subplot ends and what you'll see, not intentionally necessarily, but just because of the way narrative works, you'll see that there are quadrants specifically like at the 15 minute mark, this character enters the scene and. And then at the 45 minute mark, they exit. And so there's almost like these parallel, like bookends that happen with movies. And I started noticing that with the way, way back, particularly with the first and last scene, how they bookend each other. But even like the Candyland scene and then the fried food party scene, if I could call it that, they, they come right after each other. One shows how inauthentic, but how trying to be authentic a scene is where you have this family that by one person is trying to evoke a sense of being a family. And then you have the fried food party scene where the reality actually comes out, where you have, where you have Duncan just lashing out and saying, this is what the reality is. And there are other moments in the movie that I found that were really paralleling that. I think the, um, the entrance of, of Betty and her son and the way in which she's able to control him And his eye patch about the same time near the end of the movie with a few minutes left is the scene where he comes back from being gone all night and it's just mouthing off to her. And anyway, that's probably for like the three people that might might be interested in that. But I really found that interesting that probably unintentional, but to see that kind of uh, that clock where you have these bookended moments that happen that kind of begin and end either themes or character entrances or exits or, finishing off story arcs that way so i thought it was pretty cool. Anyway, nerd glasses off and on to connecting points. Um, well, can i just say go ahead.
2: one of the things that
1: i love,
2: you know, you mentioned it earlier about how the Owen doesn't allow the kids to drink. The, I said this in my oh one more takeaway, but that is just such a refreshing thing to me. It is so different than 90% of the movies that we see in this type of genre with teens and Duncan's relationship with Susanna is another great example of that. It's this innocent kind of attraction to someone that never gets taken to a place of sexuality. She kisses him goodbye. And I wrote down like, and the entire summer's worth it at that point for him. I mean, Obviously, there's more than that. But like I remember being in summer camp and those those people that you would only see in the summer because they came from a different part of the state. But you all always went to the same church camp at the same two weeks every summer. And so you would get to see them again and you would get to know them. And they had an impact on your life, you know, and, and it, like in this situation, it's a matter of I feel like confidence, like she's a, giving him something that makes him feel valued and worth something and desired to an extent and it's just such a meaningful sweet innocent act that i feel like so many movies don't know how to do anymore because they want to take that and make it one hot night on the beach where they ended up having sex before duncan left to go back home kind of thing Um, i just love 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 the way that these writers handle that throughout the story. It makes it so much better for me.
1: It feels really tender and more meaningful in that regard. I think we've, we felt that way with hearts beat loud in the relationship there that it was less is more in that regard where we can, where we can infer more emotional connection than just a physical attraction there. And, and I agree. I I love the fact that early on, She asks him, you know, where do you go? And he's like, well. And she goes, you know, just it's your own, make it your own. It's it's your space. I can't remember the specific line. It's a lot better than what I'm saying. And then of course she she says
3: like, let it be yours.
1: Let it be yours. And then it's a great little in-joke because she follows him. And you. Yeah, and I'm like stalker much. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but she's. But he says, oh yeah, I guess let it be my own. She says, well, you know, I needed to find out. And but we but we forgive her because we know that. She genuinely cares about him and, um, but I like the fact that she gives him that ownership at the beginning. I feel like she wanted him to have that. Like she didn't says, Hey, that's yours. Let it be your own. And, um, and that was very genuine for sure. Well, let's move into our connecting points. Uh, Erin, do you want to go first? Kick us off? Me or 1.0. <laughs> Sorry. I, did I not say right? I thought I was saying, I wasn't saying Aaron. I was saying Aaron. Oh, okay. It's I didn't know if that
3: was the method we went with. <laughs>
1: Aaron 2.0 would you like to kick us off?
3: <laughs> I think like actually aside from I think I maybe mean, actually I think we've all except for except for Aaron the one that he wrote down I think we all actually already kind of talked about our connecting points for me it was the breakdancing scene it was this moment where the awkwardest little white boy that ever did dance decided to step up to the plate and whenever he got challenged by these obviously far more seasoned dancers he didn't back down and instead of making fun of him or taking the piss like this, this moment could have turned like Aaron said, you know, a lot of, a lot of movies these days make these moments that could be wholesome. And they go, no, we need to make this gratuitously something else. It could have been a moment where he just got the absolute mess kicked out of him by these kids, or they just berated him and told him that he was ridiculous and bullied him. And like having been bullied myself relentlessly growing up, like bullying is something that just like makes my blood boil in movies and so like to see this moment where he's about to take the cardboard box away and he you can tell that he's like so uncomfortable being like, Um, I'm sorry. Um, this I got think yeah, I'm taking this. Okay, bye. Like, you can see he's so uncomfortable, but he still does it. And the guy's like, No, before you can take this, let me see your moves. And like the first time, I remember the first time I watched like the pit of my stomach drop, cause I'm like, I can already tell by the way this kid stands and walks, he has gotten nothing. Nothing below the chest moves the way that you'd think it should. And when he started dancing, I was like, oh, nope, Lord Jesus, this is where it ends. This is how he dies. Okay, yep, this is, this is it. But then instead of that, like, he does it for long enough to where he's like, okay, like, <laughs> I'm going to take this cardboard box now. And that girl's like, no, no, you're not done. Like, I think that you can do more. And she shows him what to do. And it's like, this it's this wonderfully encouraging moment that still has humor in it because he kind of does it and kind of makes it his own in a really dysfunctional robot kind of way. But it's like, You even see the look on her face when she does, like, the final dance move, and her moves, like, her her face, like, she goes to high-five him, and her face is like, okay, white boy, that's obviously the best that you can do, so feel free to take our cardboard box now. And it's this, it's still this moment, though, where, like, it's, it sounds terrible, but it's part, it's probably one of the more unrealistic moments of the movie for me, just because I know that in real life, especially nowadays, he probably would have been bullied pretty relentlessly, but... I just, it's a very wholesome moment given the fact that he's dealing with so much bullying at home and the fact that Owen gave him this moment where he could step up to the plate and he didn't back down. He did it with the knowledge that this could get the mess kicked out of me and Owen's asking so Owen maybe wouldn't put me in danger and so he does it anyway.
2: Beautiful. I I love how you finished that because that's exactly the point that I was going to piggyback off of and make was that I really feel... Like, Owen is giving him this opportunity, but Owen has experienced this so many times. Like, Owen, I think, knows these kids. I think he's gone through this. I think he has a good idea of how this is going to go, that they're not going to beat him up, that ultimately they may give him some crap, but that they're going to relent to the rules and give him the cardboard. I feel like it's a thing that he has to do all the time, where he's like, okay, kids, you know, you can't do this, like, on a weekly basis. I get the sense that there's that relationship.
3: Well, he makes Caitlin go do it.
2: Yeah, and exactly. And so, like, I think I don't feel like Owen would ever set him up to fail, but he doesn't, like you said, knowing that he's giving Duncan a chance to grow through this opportunity in a sort of safe way where he feels it's controlled. And he's also there. You know, it's not like he leaves. He's watching. He's there for support, if necessary, if things were to go wrong. But, yeah, it's it's a beautiful moment. And it's one of those scenes that is just so iconic. Like, it it defines a movie. You can't think about this movie without remembering that scene.
1: Exactly. And the thing that comes out of it is a name, Poppin' Lock, which is hilarious, but it's also empowering. And there's a scene later where Susanna comes to see Duncan at the water park, and there's a as they're walking through, somebody yells, what's up, Poppin' Lock? And she's like, what is that? It's like, don't worry about it. But you see him carry himself in a way that's just really kind of proud. He's like, I earned that. I took the risk, I walked through the fire, and I, I did this. And not only was there endorsement by the, the breakdancers, but I think that they respected him because he participated. It reminded me in this weird way of a scene from the 80s movie Adventures in Babysitting where you have this group of kids, this group of white kids, that walk into a blues joint and they're trying to leave and the guy says, nobody leaves his place without singing the blues. And so they have to make up their own blues song. And it turns into a really hilarious scene where they get the whole crowd into it. And by the end of the scene, everybody's singing along. And then they end up kind of getting out of the scene. But there's something about participating and how that earns respect from the people that you're connecting with. Because I know that these guys knew he could not dance. and so. It was kind of a mutual. Let's see how far he'll take this. Not only for their entertainment, but probably for also their respect. And uh, the fact that he got a a name from that, I think, is something pretty empowering.
2: It's even on the board. It is, when yeah, with his picture and his mom's um, like, what month. in
0: the world? It yeah, is, it's yeah,
2: brilliant.
1: <laughs> well, Aaron one point oh.
2: Well, uh, my connecting point is the end of the film. It's his mom, Pam, getting in the backseat with Duncan. And I just love, 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 love this final shot. It brings me to tears every time. Just thinking about it brings me to tears because it's, it's about, you know, a parent choosing their kids. And, um, you know, as a divorced parent, it's tough because you want a relationship of your own. And, there's a lot of time that is required from that that takes away from the already minimized time you get with your kids. I'll just put out there, for example, if I was to spend my weekend nights on a date, well, I've only got every other weekend to date when I don't have my kids or I don't have soccer practice or some other commitment. So for me to find time for a personal relationship is very difficult. And I love seeing a parent putting their kids first. And that's what this is. And after all of they went through, her respecting him and showing him that she cares about him and that he's more important than Trent, I think is such a perfect bookend, like you said, to the opening of the scene where she's asleep and he's getting the talk about the three. Um, I try to do this. I try to put my kids first almost always. And I can tell you it is so much more rewarding and I think it will be much more meaningful in their lives than putting Trent, a Trent first in my life. And so when I see her do this, I just think it's amazing. And I love that it doesn't tell us what happens from here. It just shows us a quick shot of, you know what, maybe this is how this family is going to approach life and challenges in their future. And it's, the perfect opposition to that first scene. The movie opens with Duncan looking out the back of the car, watching, is he looking at the back of the car? Oh, he's in the back seat. Sorry. Um, And we get the same thing. Like only this way, you know, they're, they're looking out together. They're awake together. They're doing it together. And it's made even better for me because there's an end credit song that plays. And I usually don't pay a ton of attention to these, but I was just picking up on the lyrics and the main, Um, hook of the song is go where the love is and you won't be lost again. And I just thought, man, what a perfect lyric to, to have play in concert with this moment of a mom choosing her son as a family. Like this is what matters most. And they're not going to get lost again because this is where the love is, is between the two of them. And so I just really love the way that this movie ends and the feeling that it Leaves you with, um, like so many coming of ages we talk about, the best ones to me are really self-contained. They are just in this time period. They, sh- they don't, like Aaron mentioned earlier, doesn't give us background on the dad very much, doesn't tell us what the relationship was, doesn't tell us why they're divorced, all that stuff. It's this is where your characters started out and we only know so much about them and this is where they ended and we get to enjoy the ambiguity of imagining a better life for them going forward
1: excellent i loved that scene too what a great exclamation point to the end of the movie moving to the the way back seat like that that's just fantastic so i almost made that my connecting point and for all intents and purposes it probably was but like you mentioned aaron they're probably like 12 so the one that i picked was the the final water slide scene and actually the moments leading up to that i think what stood out for me was not only Duncan running from the car, but running into the park and almost desperately talking to Owen saying, I'm leaving. We need to get this done. I don't remember specifically what he says, but he says, I'm leaving. Uh, follow me. And I'd forgotten because I hadn't seen this. I think probably in about a year, like the first time I saw this was like maybe a year ago and I'd forgotten about this. And so when they move towards the water slide, I'm like, Oh yeah, they're going to do this. And it brought back, uh, the conversation from the sandlot about this is where legends never die right here (laughs) because we get this great little, almost like a throwaway scene that feels just like part of like, here's the history of the water park. And there was this great story of these two guys that went down the water slide and one of them passed the other. And this became legendary. And, you know, it was just one of the myths of the water park. What we didn't realize was that, oh wait, this was Owen. And I love the significance of the fact that this is the moment where Duncan and Owen truly felt like they bonded, where they felt like we are connected by doing this. It's almost like a rite of passage. It's like this thing where nobody else has done this before that or, you know, since that day. And probably no one else will do this. I love that at the end, someone asks, how did you do that? And Owen says, can't tell. It's like a trade secret. Oh, you know, we can't. You know We're not going to tell that that secret. But it's something that they share together. They've had the whole summer to connect. But I think this is the first time and maybe the biggest time that they have really shared something as both the two of them, like this is where they, they completely connected, you know, physically, obviously, because of the way that they, they came down the slide. But it made me feel really good. Like it was almost like the perfect resolution to the, to the end of the summer, to the end of, of Duncan's journey. And as much as I love that last scene, I probably would have been satisfied if that was the big moment. If we would have seen Duncan walking off with his family. And that being it, I don't think it negated the last scene or vice versa. I love that we got both. But for me, that was the biggest smile in the movie. And that's one that every time I rewatch this every summer, because that's what this is going to be. I'm going to look forward to that moment. And I'm going to look forward to sharing that with somebody who hasn't seen it yet, like my wife or whoever. I'm going to be like, watch this, watch this. I'm going to be that annoying guy that keeps tapping on the shoulders like, no, no, no. Put your phone down and watch this. This is going to be good.
2: So I got a question for both of you. I need to know what you think. Do you think that Owen allows Duncan to do something to pass him?
3: I think it's a mutual understanding. I think that Owen agrees that Duncan needs this, but also I think that Duncan has figured out how to do it. Because if you watch the way they enter the slide, two very different ways. Owen goes down butt first on a flat mat, which if any... If you have Anybody who's been to a water park knows that's not because, they, <laughs> yeah. Um, While Duncan rolls it and dives head first. So like by rolling it, not only has he made himself more aerodynamically sound, but it also allows him to use the outer edges of the tube. So it's very likely that Duncan had the actual like statistical likelihood of passing Owen. Mm-hmm. But also it could have been that Owen didn't slide differently to stop Duncan from
1: passing him. Yeah, I agree with that totally. I think, and that's probably the perfect mm-hmm. scientific explanation for <laughs> it's that. Way area, better so. than I was Thank expecting. You. I'm going to do yeah. PhD on it. You know, it's
2: funny because if park is, I laughed out loud when I actually saw or heard the name of the park in this time. I had not really paid attention to that before. It's called Water Whiz.
0: And it's a real park, <laughs> by the way. It's a real <laughs> Which is park.
2: hilarious, like that you would call it Whiz. I don't know. I just, my childish mind makes a joke. <laughs> but it's also cool, Aaron, that you used to work at a park. What did you call it? Water
3: Waves? Well, I mean, I didn't call it it, but it was called Wild Rivers.
2: <laughs> or what was it called? It was called Wild Rivers?
3: Yeah. The, so, our arch our, our rival was Raging Waters. Oh, there's multiple. Oh, yeah. There's so, a Battle Royale in California.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, well, Patrick and I grew up with one really close to home as well called Wild Waves. No, no. And no, 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 no,
1: Wild it's, River Country? Wild River Country.
2: Well, I thought it changed. No,
1: it never changed. Okay.
2: So
3: well, Wild River if Country. if it did, you have to call it what you knew it as.
1: And you know, we spent make out water park is what I called it.
3: Yeah,
2: I just this this brought me back to so Nothing many summers. The smell of chlorine. I mean, that's I'm what this, is, this this park was just like that experience. I mean, it really was down to the, the type of slides. And the different groups of people you saw around the park, you know, some with a boombox listening to music and dancing and just hanging out gossiping and then you know, the the kids that were on the slides, the lifeguards doing the whole thing and checking girls out like it just it was a very authentic experience to what I remember from my summers in the I, park.
1: I absolutely agree with that. And I don't know if you guys experienced this. We talked about this the first time I watched it. But until I started seeing modern technology and especially when I saw the park, I thought, is this a movie taking place in like the 60s because of the. Because of the station wagon, because of the way... Yeah, the it was aesthetic
3: looking. was very there, yeah.
1: Yeah, it felt kind of old school. And then I was like, wait, he's got a iPod or something. And I was like, okay, I guess we're in... Oh, wait, is this a time travel movie? What's happening here? But then when the water park happened and everything, I, I started thinking, okay, it's just modern day. He's just dressed goofy. And I just I got used to that. So this time that was not a distraction and I was fully immersed into the modern day thing. So Well, that about wraps it up for this edition of feeling Film... Aaron two <laughs> Where can people find you on social media if they want to keep the conversation going with you?
3: You can find me on Instagram and Pinterest under Essentially Aaron. My name is spelled ridiculously. I tell people my parents were drunk, but they weren't. They just wanted a different spelling, so it's E R Y N N E. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Hundley.
1: Fantastic. Well, coming up this week, we have another FF Plus coming your way, where, among other things, we will be giving you our spoiler-free thoughts on a couple of new releases, as well as Black Mirror Season 5 and When They See Us. So you'll be wanting to tune in for that. And uh, that's about it from us, Aaron and Aaron. Thank you guys for another great conversation, and we will talk soon.
2: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you.